0: Morning. Forgot my stand over here last service. Still here. That was really convenient. Uh, Good morning. My name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Happy Father's Day to you. Hey, before we get into our Bible teaching for this morning, uh, I'm wondering if you'd just give me a few minutes. i want to make an announcement about something. Uh, last summer, if you were here, and I know a ton of you weren't here then, you're, you're new in the last year, but we had made an announcement that we had made a decision to stop publicly promoting our Sunday morning live stream. Uh, it would still be available on YouTube for those who needed it, but we just weren't going to list it or promote it anymore. After continued uh, discussion and prayer as leaders of the church, uh, we have decided to officially stop live streaming our Sunday morning services uh, as of next week. And so uh, the messages will still be, the message portion of the service will still be posted online to all the different platforms, uh, but we won't be live online on Sunday mornings anymore. Uh, it's not an easy decision. Uh, certainly at all. I know a couple of things. I know that 99% of churches have made a different decision and we're uh, unique in going this direction. I know that there are positives to having a live stream, a Sunday morning service online. It allows you to access church from anywhere. If you're on vacation, if you're sick, it's a way for people to try out church, to hear the gospel. Listen, as somebody with a huge evangelist heart, uh, I'd love that part of a Sunday morning live stream. However, the reasons for discontinuing our live stream, I believe, far outweigh the reasons for continuing in it. And that's because of this. When you watch from home, there are many things that are essential for you to do and for you to participate in as a believer in Jesus that you just can't simply do from home. And so if you would allow me, I just want to real quickly walk through our five reasons, main reasons, we made this a unique decision at this cultural moment. Uh, Number one is this. Uh, You miss out on the power of corporate worship. And I would add our prayer meetings as well when you watch from home. right? The worship, if you've ever streamed online, and I know most of you have at some point or another, the worship part is not the same, right? When you're washing dishes while you're listening, I know you multitask, don't hide it, uh, it's not the same as being here with a gathered body in corporate worship. Number two, you cannot serve from home. When we just watch online, church ends up about us being served, not about us serving other people. And in the New Testament, serving the body of Christ is a massive part of what it means to be a part of a church. At the end of the day, church, as it's described in the Bible— Not in this modern American context. I'm saying church as it's described in the Holy Scriptures is not a podcast. Church cannot be reduced or simplified down to just content that you consume for yourself. It isn't church at the end of the day. Okay, number three. Church online eventually leads to isolation which is a danger to your spiritual growth. As This goes on, and we move beyond just this sort of when COVID exploded and everybody was online and we watched this play out over the years now, what we're seeing is most typically it leads to spiritual isolation. And what happens is if we don't see you for six months, And you don't see the friends that you normally used to serve with on the greeting team or in the cafe. You get more and more isolated in your Christian faith. And one of our core values of this church is that we know our faith thrives in community, but it struggles without it. Number four, church online is a major obstacle to the spiritual growth of children. I feel like not enough Christian leaders are talking about this right now. If you have ever Live stream with like a four and a two-year-old at home, you know, they're not getting anything from it, right? It is so different for them if they're here, they're in their classrooms, tailor-made for a five-year-old, for them to grow spiritually. We've got to think about the long-term effects of this model for the discipleship of Christians. And then number five is a bit of a unique one, but I feel passionate about this one. Churches can still do digital evangelism, without live streaming their Sunday morning gatherings. Uh, Let me tell you this. As a pastor who networks with a lot of pastors in this area, there are many, many, many pastors who want to cancel their church live stream, but they haven't because of all of the things that are already listed, or, or they want to because of the things that are listed on the screen, but they haven't because they don't want to miss out on evangelistic opportunities online. But I always tell pastors, I say, listen, Unchurched people are not watching your live stream Sunday morning at 9 a.m. That's church people. Unchurched people are engaging with your content Thursday morning at 2 a.m. When they Google, is God real? Or churches in my area. It's church people that are almost predominantly engaging with something on live Sunday morning early in the morning. And so this is what we're going to do as a church, as a church that is really serious about discipleship and community, but is also uniquely passionate about evangelism. Uh, We're going to be ending our live stream next week because we believe that the benefits are far greater when the church gathers together like the Bible instructs us to. However, we are more committed than ever to share the gospel online. In fact, if you were at our annual meeting last week, you heard us say that we, we have even budgeted for it we are hiring for it. Over the next few years, we want to be one of the best churches in Minnesota at sharing gospel content online. And what I mean by that is sharing testimony videos on social media, of creating videos that explain the gospel creatively, or teaching about who Jesus is, message clips. We absolutely, as people who love the gospel, we want to be in the space where unbelievers are but we don't believe that we have to struggle through all of these other unintended consequences just to turn our church gathering into an online service. You see the differentiation between those two? You see, we believe that we can gather and we can also do evangelism, but they don't have to be the same thing. If you are watching this online right now, and you're maybe a bit shocked by this, or it's maybe coming to you in a a difficult way, I would say this. If you are a part of our church, now is the time to come back and to re-engage. Even if that feels difficult, take those steps. If you are watching this online, and you are from a different part of the country, as I know many of you are, I would say to you, try so hard to be involved in a local church. Even if you're going, oh, it's not the same, be in a local church. Because at the end of the day, you need people around you that are discipling you, that know you, can encourage you. When your life gets really hard, that they can come in and support you. You need people who actually know you. And that is so important. That's a huge part of what the church actually is. All right. Thank you. I know this is different. I know it's unique. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, my job as the shepherd of this flock, as the chief shepherd of this local flock is not to get our numbers up and increase our online presence and feel good about that. My job is to help you be a disciple of Jesus. And we feel like this is the best thing we can do for your walk with the Lord. Okay, thank you. That was kind of a heavy start to the day. All right, let's now get into the book of Joshua. All right. Uh, as a church, we have been studying the book of Joshua for our summer series. Uh, if you're new around here, first of all, that's awesome. Uh, we want to get you up to date on kind of where we are in the Bible. Uh, while we do that, would everybody grab a Bible? There's Bibles under every chair, if you didn't bring one. So uh, page 147. So... In the Bible so far, God has promised the land of Canaan to the Israelites. However, they end up finding themselves as slaves in Egypt. They cry out to God. God sends 10 plagues, frees them. They wander into the Sinai Peninsula. They wander around there, I should say, for 40 years. Moses, their leader, dies at the end of those 40 years. And Joshua is his apprentice that takes over and now is to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And now here at the beginning of chapter 3, they're kind of standing on the edge of the Jordan River. Where they, the Jordan River is essentially the boundary into the Promised Land, and they got to figure out how are we actually going to get across the Jordan River. So, page one forty-seven, uh, we are Joshua chapter three, and we are reading the whole chapter. So we'll start uh, with the first four verses. It says this: Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan. When they camped, excuse me, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Okay, let me start by explaining a few things that might feel new to you or maybe a bit foggy to you. And that is primarily, what is The Ark of the Covenant that the priests are carrying. Maybe you've heard of that before. Maybe you're like, I kind of remember something, but I don't really remember. The Ark of the Covenant. Let me show you a picture, really a rendering of what it looked like. Uh, This is the Ark of the Covenant. It was constructed uh, 40 years earlier than this chapter in biblical history. It was a gold-covered box. And the main thing you need to know about the Ark is it was... God's, it symbolized God's special presence with the people. Uh, Inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things. It was the Ten Commandments, were in there, the the two stone tablets. Uh, is that two things? I don't, we're gonna count them as one, okay? Uh, there's the manna, which is this food that God miraculously provided to the Israelites in the wilderness. And then there was Aaron's staff, Aaron was Moses' brother, his staff that miraculously budded. And all three of those things are inside of the Ark. Also, the Ark was involved in an important ritual where once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark was stored. Once they kind of get in, well, they have the tabernacle in the wilderness and eventually they build the temple. And on the top of the Ark there was what was called the mercy seat. And the high priest once a year would go in there and after a sacrifice, he would sprinkle the blood on top of the Ark as a way of symbolizing the forgiveness that the Israelites were granted. And this was called the Day of Atonement or you might recognize it by its other name from your iPhone calendar, uh, Yom Kippur. So have you ever seen that on your calendar? Like, what is Yom Kippur? That's what it is. It's where the high priest does that sacrifice. So the Ark in this passage and in the Bible is the symbol of God's presence. It's his physical sign that he is leading them. And that is so important in Joshua chapter 3 that the Ark is mentioned not once but nine separate times in this chapter. The Lord wants you to see that he is leading the Israelites. Okay, now that we understand that concept, we can kind of begin to frame what's going to happen in chapter 3 here. In fact, we're going to get to see God do something amazing, and God is even going to use that word amazing later on in our passage. So within this chapter, we see a pattern for how God's people, that's us, can see amazing things even today. So there's really three steps to this. Here's step number one, how to see God do amazing things in your life. If you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes somewhere, number one is this, let God lead. You follow. The Israelites, they've got to follow God here. Right? They don't know how they're going to get across the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a major obstacle in their life. They're going, "How? Are, I need to go here, but how am I going to do this? And Maybe in your life right now, you even have that. Maybe it's coming up this next week or this next month. You're going, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get across that. How I'm going to get through that. Well, what do we see in this passage? The first thing is Joshua is going to need to follow God's lead. He's not going to be able to invent a way across the Jordan River, right? He's got all of these people in this big nation they've got all their possessions, they've got all their little kids. The Jordan River we see later in the passage is at flood stage, so we're told by historians that it's about a 100 feet across and about 10 feet deep. So deep enough, big enough, that you just can't take a group. These people haven't been taking lessons at Foss Swim School or anything like that, right? So they're not easily, I hope I get some sort of discount for that, by the way. (laughs) Sorry, I need to just focus. They're not They're not going to be able to easily cross the river at this point. So they're going to need God's leading and God gives direction to Joshua. So look at verse four, if you still have it open. So they're talking about following the ark. And then look, it says this, the Lord says, then you will know through the leaders, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Now it's not that they don't know which direction the promised land is, but they're just not sure how it's actually going to go down. So they need to f- listen, and they need to follow. They need to let God lead, and you follow. I-, I would say, by the way, most of us nowadays, we get that backwards. Am I right? We lead, and then we ask God to follow along. We say, Lord, here's where I'm going. Now, if you could bless that along the way, that would be fantastic. I, I see a lot of Christians do this even in the major transitions of their life. Right? Maybe they're getting a new job. Uh, maybe they're about to start a new relationship, right? Maybe they're going to uh, move to a different area of the country. Big decisions. And so often we're just making decisions and we're saying, Lord, if you could just make that work out, that would be great. But that's not what it says. We let God lead and we follow. I feel like this sort of backwards thinking that we do a lot, I feel like it's a good indictment of my own prayer life even. I mean, how easy is it to close your eyes and say, Lord, I'm going to need this to work out. If you could please make that better. If you could please fix that. And sometimes I just wonder if our spiritual lives would be better if we just stopped making so many requests and started asking more questions. So, like, what if in prayer, instead of saying, Lord, can you please make this work? You said, Where where do you want me to go in the first place? Lord, how can you, how are you even going to make a way? Show me, Father. Uh, What if instead of saying to God, please fix this problem, you said, Lord, what is your will? What do you even want me to do? You let God lead and you follow. Because here's the thing, often where God wants to lead isn't where you would have gone anyway. Like, okay, let's pretend you're an Israelite, right? And you're coming up to the Jordan River, you see like, okay, there's no way I'm taking my little kids across this and what would you have done? Well, Just realistically, you probably would have said, okay, Joshua, if you want my advice, we're going to have to go south, we're going to have to go north. Eventually, the river is going to have a shallower point or every river ends at some point, right? There's got to be a different way across. But where does God lead? Eventually, we're going to see in the passage, he just says, nope, just straight ahead. That's not what they were thinking. But isn't it going to be better for them to go straight ahead? Yeah, it is. But they've got to let God lead, and Joshua wants to make sure that everybody can see God lead. So again, at verse 4, I feel like I could have preached a whole message on verse 4. At the end of verse 4, it says they are to stay 2,000 cubits back from the ark. Okay, so that's about 1,000 yards, 10 football fields, a little over a half a mile. Now, if you, if you can picture a half a mile, you can see a half a mile away, definitely. Uh, but it's far enough that this huge group of people is all going to get to see the ark, they're all going to get to see what God does. But there's actually another beautiful spiritual truth that is embedded in this distance that we're talked to, that's talked about in verse four. And that is this, it's that God is separate and God is holy. In fact, if you've read a decent amount of the Old Testament, and some of you have, you may know that there's a story in Second Samuel chapter six where there's a man named Uzzah and one time he touches the ark of the covenant. You know what happens to him? Dies instantly. So what's happening here? 2,000 cubits away. There's this tension. There's a tension that we see a lot in scripture. It's that on the one hand, God is our loving father. He's our Abba, our daddy, right? Jesus calls us his friend. We can have this close personal relationship with him. On the other hand of the tension, God is not our equal, okay? He is holy, We are to fear the Lord. And and I think a good question for us, even as we study this passage, is if you had to plot yourself along this tension, your relationship with God, where are you? I think a lot of us, especially in our sort of brand of American Christianity, if you had to guess, most of us are probably more likely on this side, right? One of the downfalls of plotting yourself too far this way is you're less likely then to let God lead and trust in his wisdom because you're seeing yourselves more as equals. Like, God, I got this. You know, if you could just bless it along the way. But you need to see God as superior. In fact, think about some of the decisions you've made in your life lately. Have you been treating God's wisdom? Have you been seeking God's wisdom as if it actually is infinitely superior to your own? Or have you not? Who's leading? Okay, let's keep reading, because this next verse is going to expand on this holiness principle that we need just a lot more clarity on in our culture. Verse 5. It says, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Verse six, Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Okay, now, uh, look again at verse five. What is the important step that the Lord has told Joshua that they must do before they see God do amazing things. Somebody shout it out. What are they supposed to do first? Yes. Consecrate themselves. So this is actually step number two. So if you're taking notes, the first thing, you want to see God really move again. Number one, you've you got to let him lead. And then number two, write this down. You have to consecrate yourself. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I don't know what that means. Okay. That's okay, (laughs) right? When when you study the Bible, consecrate is in there actually a decent amount. If you wanna write this down, consecrate means to set apart as holy. And so if you are to consecrate yourself to the Lord, that means you're preparing for God to do amazing things by set yourself apart as holy, by removing any lingering sin that you've just been letting hang around in your life and setting your eyes anew on the Lord. Uh, The Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early Christian church, kind of fleshes out this concept a little bit in the New Testament. Let me read you a, a section of one of his letters on the screen. 2 Timothy 2, he says this, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, that's the gold and silver, right? The stuff you get out, your china, right, when people come over, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So here's what Paul is saying to you, Christians. He's saying, if you want to be useful to the master you want the master to come in your life and use you for amazing things, then you're gonna to have to cleanse yourself of this sin. Because some of us, you just get sin in your lives, you know, that you just kind of grow apathetic towards, maybe? You're like, oh, it's just kind of been there for a long time. You say, no, 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 focus on that. Kill it, the Bible says. Put it to death. Begin to cleanse it from your life. Set your eyes anew on the Lord. So let me give you a really tangible example of what this could look like. So uh, some of you know we are sending a team of 12 people on a mission trip to uh, Tanzania in Eastern Africa on Friday. Uh, we are going with a Shine and Sammy Wagnoni. Uh Sammy is a longtime friend of this church, an amazing uh, international evangelist. And Sammy, who's leading this whole mission, has essentially told our team that we need to consecrate ourselves before we go. In other words, we need to fast. We need to make sure every day leading up to the trip that we are absolutely spending some serious time seeking the Lord. If there is any of that sort of lingering sin that we've just kind of been letting hang around, we got to fight it. We want to be focused on Jesus. You want to be going into a mission like this hot for the Lord. Not lukewarm, hot, right? Well, Why? I think we would understand this concept more in America if in the church we studied more of the Old Testament like we're doing. Because when you read through the Old Testament, you actually see this consistent pattern of God quite often, especially through the prophets. He tells the people that he's actually sick and tired of their fake spirituality and their insincere prayers and their burnt offerings and the fact that they continue to just show up at religious services, but they don't really mean it and they're not really seeking him because their hearts aren't really right. What they're actually seeking is not him, they're seeking his hand. And I think that too often that's us. We don't truly want him, we just want him to do something for us. I've had seasons where that's a part of my life. If, if I'm sitting there right now, I'm going, yep. Right? I just want him to answer something, to change something, I'm not ultimately, first and foremost, seeking him. Okay, so let's bring it back now to the context of this passage. So what God is doing when he says, consecrate yourselves, what he's doing is he wants the Israelites along the Jordan River to get serious first about following him, about holiness, about setting their lives first and foremost for him. Because this is what happens. When you go at that sin again, you're saying, God, I want to live for you. I want to stop that. Lord, help me. What happens is you begin to cleanse it from your life, and your eyes now are not set on your sin or the world and the culture. Your eyes are set on the Lord, expectingly waiting for him to move. That is the attitude he wants everybody in so they can clearly watch and see and give him glory when he moves in amazing ways. And I think we we, we need more teaching like this about holiness again in the American church. They taught on this a lot. You go to the turn of the 20th century. From the, from the 1800s and the 1900s, this is a major emphasis of the church. We don't understand it as well today. But the truth is, you can be saved. You have a saving relationship with Jesus, but that doesn't mean that you'll always be walking in God's blessing. So we said, remember that the book of Joshua is meant to teach us what life can be like when you truly walk with God. And If I can be honest, it's a bit foolish on our part to think that we can be living in disobedience to God and yet expect him to always be doing amazing things at the same time. Listen, God is our father. So think about this, it's Father's Day, right? So let me just talk to the dads in the room. So gentlemen, if your kids are always living in constant disobedience, right? They're rebellion, they're never listening to you, Somebody's like, yeah, I know, it's right now, right? <laughs> okay, but let's just say seriously, they're, just all, they're never listening, they're rebelling, they're just walking in disobedience. Would you come up to them and say, and here's another good thing for you, right? And let's go to a restaurant today and let me buy you a new car and let me, no way, right? Because what do you ultimately want? Even more so than obedience, what you ultimately want is for their hearts to be right. Well, it's the same thing with your heavenly father. Let me tell you something. God is more concerned with your heart than he is with your comfort. And so some of us, we come to him and say, Lord, make this right. If you could fix this, if you could. He said, I want your heart right first. Not just to give you another thing to make your life more comfortable. So they get to the Jordan River and he says, okay, before we just get you to the promised land and make everything better, Let's get your heart right. Let me lead. Consecrate yourself. Okay, now this is step three. So we're verse nine. Here's what it says. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And then he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage. Remember, that's what we talked about earlier. So it's about 100 feet across, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Pretty amazing. And so they let God lead. They consecrate themselves. And then we get step number three. Here's the step number three to actually see God work and do amazing things. It's you've got to step out in faith. It is kind of interesting, right? Because God could have, he could have used the audible voice and went, hello, Israelites, look to your left and you will see I will now commence parting the Jordan River. He could have just done it, right? that's not what he does. What does he tell them? He tells the priest, holding the ark to walk into the river first. This is important. Actually, don't miss this, because I believe this is a main reason that many American Christians have a dull and boring faith. Right? Maybe you've just been coming here with your spouse, you're like, yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus, but your faith is pretty boring and pretty dull. Listen carefully, because I'm going to show you why that is. See, I believe the Holy Spirit, who is God, nudges us all the time to walk towards the river, right? He's, he whispers things into your mind. He says things to you like, some of you, he probably already did this this morning. He said, hey, next year, I want you to go to Africa. And you went, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Right, for some of you, he's been nudging you lately and he's saying, I want you to seek me a new, I want you to wake up a half an hour early every day, get on your knees and just seek me with passion again. And you're going, God, I really love sleep, though. I don't think so. Some of you, he said, I want you to do something crazy. I want you to start fasting one day a week. Just set aside a whole day. Consecrate yourselves. Give yourself to me. He's putting it in your mind. And what do we do? We do this all the time. We go, I don't think so. No. But by saying no and not finishing this out, we are constantly missing God do amazing things in our life. And because we won't walk down and put our feet in the river, we're left with what? Kind of just a boring and dull faith that actually never really grows because you never get those moments where you put your feet in the river and go, whoa! Because you never left here. You actually have to walk out in faith. It's like the old saying, That we get from the New Testament, if you want to walk on water, you gotta get out of the boat, right? The problem I think is most of us, we actually just prefer that the Lord would make the riverbed dry before he asks us to walk in. Sometimes I think we even get mad at him for not making it dry first. I've prayed like that before, like there's an obstacle in my life. I don't really want to walk into it, and I'm just looking at the Lord saying, I don't understand. Like, why haven't you kind of parted the waters here? Maybe you part the waters, and then I'll trust you some more. Or we were just asking him to do the work first. And I believe the Lord would say this back to us. I think he would say, listen, anybody can trust me on dry ground. But that's not really going to grow your faith at all. What you need to do is you need to listen to me. You need to consecrate yourself. And you need to just start walking. That's the pathway to seeing God move in amazing ways. You know what's really interesting about the Bible? You have I love the Bible. There's so many parallels all over the place. And one of the really interesting ones here is the Israelites, their forefather was Abraham. Abraham was the first one that was called into the promised land. What's kind of cool is he was called essentially in a very similar way. In Hebrews chapter 11, again, which is that great hall of fame of faith chapter we talked about last week, it says this about Abraham in verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Whoa. Right, God said, just start walking this way. Where? Just start walking. Okay. And he goes. Right, it's the same thing with these Israelite leaders. They just start walking. They don't know what's really going to happen with a river. Right? Like, is it just going to disappear? Is it going to, like, how am I going to sink first and just start walking? But they do. And they walk and they put their feet in the river. And what do they get to see? They get to see the glory of God. They get to see God do amazing things. So for some of you today, you just need to start walking. Remember, we already studied this in chapter one. The Lord has said, be strong, be courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. And now you need to start walking in that strength and courage, and in faith, and work the steps. We got to remember the steps, right? A lot of us we just want to skip right to the miracle. Lord, answer this, but we work we work the process first. And listen, you cannot manipulate God. I actually think there is great irony in this teaching about seeing God do amazing things, and this is really important for us as I think our, our where we are in the church world in, in America right now, and the differentiation that's really important for us is this. If you are just seeking amazing things for your own sake, you actually probably will never see them. But if you're seeking God for his sake, you'll probably see them all the time. So you start not with, God, do something amazing for me. I want this to happen. You just say, I'm gonna listen to you. I'm gonna be the person that lets you lead. I'm gonna consecrate myself to you. Uh, You tell me to go here. I'm walking in faith. If that's your heart, then you're gonna see God move all the time. Right, And so that's why the process really matters. And then I, finally, I, I just want to say this. Some of you are maybe just beginning this process of seeking God out. And I want you to know that he makes a way for you to know him too. In fact, look at verse 17. You have this really cool part where it says the priests, they stop in the middle of the Jordan River with the ark, right? Because it's the ark that's making this miracle happen, right? And so they stay there making a bridge, essentially, a way for all of the people to get across into the promised land. And I love the Old Testament because the Old Testament has all of these, it whispers all of these clues about Jesus. See, similarly, Jesus, God's son, was a bridge for you to cross, for you to have a relationship with God. Because without him, we can't. Our sin separates us because God is holy, it kind of looks like this. Uh, we are if I'll show this picture to you on the screen. we are unable to reach God because our sin separates us from God. He is holy, He's other, He is different. We have sinned against him. We deserve His justice, punishment for our sin. We're unable to go to heaven to have a relationship with Him because of our sin. But God sends His Son Jesus because He loves you, He loves the whole world. And Jesus makes a way for us. So Jesus is like a bridge. Jesus comes to earth, he dies on the cross and what he's doing is he's taking the punishment that we deserve and he's making a way for us to be forgiven, for us to have eternal life and for us to have a relationship with God. But here's the here's the parallel. Just like the ark had to stay in place for the Israelites to cross over, the Israelites still had to walk out in faith. Like if I'm there and I'm an Israelite, I see that people are going and I see the ark there, but I'm still thinking this river could come down in any moment, right? You still gotta have faith to walk across. And they do. And so some of you, for the first time, need to say in faith, Jesus, I believe this is real. I believe you came down to this planet And you died on the cross for my sins. I want to start walking towards you. I want to know you and be forgiven. And if that's you and you need to do that for the first time, the steps I want you to take are this. After the service today, we're going to have a follow-up team in the front, right? And I want you to just literally take some steps over to them and say, I'm ready to do this. I want to start following. And they will give you some really, really important resources and steps to begin doing that. Okay? All right. Hey, uh, before we kind of close out our service today, uh, we want to take just a few minutes here to pray over our amazing team that is going to Tanzania in a few days. Uh, in fact, I want to call that team on stage right now so you can take a good look at them. Uh, they are Nina Solberg, uh, Josh Pollard, Renee Louthin, Tony West, Anna Rauscher, uh, Gabriel Hanschen, uh, Hannah Summer, who's at camp with our uh, youth group this weekend, uh, John McCormick, Abby Deary, Uh, Jacob Wilson, who's uh, out of state today, uh, Jen Norman, and then uh, I will be going as well. So we leave on Friday, uh, and we will embark on what is door-to-door... A 31-hour journey from our door here in Blaine to uh, Mwanza, Tanzania, where we're going. And then over eight days, we'll be working with Sammy Wanyoni and Shine. And we are basically going to share the gospel everywhere we go. On the street, uh, in churches, we're going to speak in a lot of schools, which they allow you to do in Africa. It's amazing. Uh, in universities. Uh, we will, a lot of the churches have targeted neighborhood outreaches they do, so they they show up in these neighborhoods, and their gospel choirs start singing. It's amazing. And before you know it, four or five hundred people have gathered, and we just, we show up. These people give their amazing testimonies. They talk about God. We preach the gospel, and we see Sometimes 20, 50, 100 people walk down the hill and give their life to Christ. It's amazing. And then we'll be working uh, with uh, Shine. Sammy, the last couple days, is putting on a massive crusade where they're expecting tens and tens of thousands of people to come where the gospel will be proclaimed as well. So this is huge. This is a huge outreach that we're doing. So we need you to pray. Uh, we always say with missions, we all do this together. We go, you pray but we do this together and then you go next year, right? Okay. All right. So at this point I'm gonna ask the team to kind of step down in front of the stage. And what I want you to do, if if this is uh if, if they are a friend of yours, if they're in your house group, uh if you're a family member, would you actually stand up right now and walk to the front? I want you to come, you can actually do that right now, I want you to come and lay a hand on them. Uh, we see in the Bible, in the book of Acts, when they send Paul out and Barnabas out on missions work, this is exactly what they do. They come and lay hands on them as the body, and they pray over them. And so you guys can spread, could you spread out a little bit more over here, Gabe and Josh, I guess we have room. Thank you, that'd be great. Okay, um, so we want you to come and pray. And then I'm going to ask one of our elders, um, Steve Howells, to come up, and he is going to pray over our team.
1: All right. As uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then will they call in him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, this is our opportunity to pray over them today and in the coming days, Lord. So, Lord, we just... uh come before you humbly. We come before you with these people who are obeying your call. They believe they are sent. They are stepping out in faith, Father, and we are asking you Just to bless them in their travels to and from and every place in between on the way to Africa while they're in Africa and as they're on their way home, Lord. We ask for your supernatural provision over all things they need, spiritual and physical, Lord. We ask for a blessing over them just to have everything provided, not only for them, but for Sammy and the Shine organization who are undertaking this as partners with them, Lord. We pray that their words... We pray that their actions, we pray that their character, that people see Christ in them, Lord, everywhere they go, and that fruit is born out of that. We pray that seeds are planted, that go into the future, that go generations into the future because of what happens on this trip, Father. We just ask you to walk through them, that people see Christ in them. We ask that you take care of their friends and family back home, Father. We ask that as... They are overseas, that their friends and family and children and loved ones know that they are taken care of. They are safe in your hands because you have gone before them, Father, and you have blessed this trip ahead of time, God. And we pray most of all that all of this is done for your glory, for your kingdom, for your honor, and for your name's sake, Lord. Bless them in this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Have an
0: incredible, incredible week. Uh, We will see you uh, soon, in a week or so. Our team will see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, If you are here for Renovation Rundown, you're new around here, I will meet you in the parent-child room in about 60 seconds. Thanks, everybody.